Hi everyone, this is Paige coming to you with a quick announcement. Just wanted to let everybody know that the episode that you are about to hear was recorded before the coronavirus pandemic became in full swing here in Pennsylvania. So Jess and I are not currently meeting up together. We are practicing social distancing and we are trying to be as cautious as we can with the current situation that we are in. And we just want to offer our encouragement and support to everyone out there who is facing this pandemic at this moment. We want to say that we are thinking about everyone who has been personally affected by this and those who are on the front lines. We just want to send all the love and support that we can. Again, just want to remind everyone that Jess and I are no longer meeting up together and we encourage everyone to take this pandemic very seriously and please practice social distancing. Please enjoy the following episode and we wish you all health and safety. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Endeavor. My name is Paige. My name is Jess. And we are excited to be here today with new mics. Yeah. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me with better quality now? (laughs) We hope so, because we were getting frustrated with our own voices. (laughs) Yeah. So today, I'm really excited about this topic. Um, I have so many notes And I'm sorry if you hear some rustling of paper because my notes are all over the place and I'm just so excited I'm going to be flipping them flying all over the place. But before we get into all that, Jess, we need to talk about our challenge real quick. Yeah. Ooh, I don't like that tone of voice. I think you should go first. Okay. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) So our challenge from last week was to do something spontaneously kind because we were talking about spontaneity. This was actually really hard. At least I feel like Mm -hmm. I do this naturally, but to take note of something was difficult and to do it without planning was difficult. So I did this at the beginning of the week and then I just kind of made an agreement with myself that if I would do this again, I would just continue to do it. So (laughs) it'll make sense in a moment. So towards the beginning of the week, I went out to eat. Uh, It was me and Jess went out together to eat. We had a good meal and uh, it was great. We were getting ready to leave. And so I used to be a waitress. So I just have a heart for waitresses everywhere. And sometimes if I'm at a restaurant or something, I'll just I try to be extra nice to the waitress or I'll just try to have some understanding with them. Like, I'm never that person who will send back my food. I just, I want to make their lives as easy as possible. Mm -hmm. So at the end of our meal, I thought to myself, you know what? I'm just going to leave a big tip for this waitress. Just out of the blue, no reason. She was just, she did, you know, she did a great job. And (laughs) I just wanted to give her a little extra special something. It wasn't much, but it was enough to be like more than the average person, I guess, would leave. And so I did that at the beginning of the week. And then I went out again. Can I can I interrupt you and, yeah. I, and say, yeah, sure. I also gave her a bigger tip than usual, but it wasn't out of kindness. It was I didn't have enough. I didn't have smaller change. Yeah. So... <laughs> 
<laughs> so that makes me feel like a jerk, but oh, okay. <laughs> no, don't. She don't have to. So she got a real big tip that oh, night. <laughs> good for her. I love how we both didn't realize this. So yeah, I just throughout the week, I just gave a little extra for tip when I went out to eat, which was like twice, but it's <laughs> <laughs> good. Yeah. Well, I'm going to be honest, Paige, I kind of rebelled and I don't really know that I can say that I completed this challenge successfully. What? How dare you? <laughs> Jess! I got so frustrated because I would forget about the challenge and only think about it when I wasn't in a position to really do anything. Okay. So I would think, oh, I could do this. But then I'm like, well, now it's not spontaneous because I'm thinking about it like right, hours right. ahead of time. Uh-huh. So... This happened over and over again where I was thinking, oh, I could do this, but now it's not spontaneous anymore. And even in the moments where I was in a position where I could do something spontaneous, I felt like I was doing it out of obligation for the challenge. And I felt like if I oh, if I do this, it's really not out of kindness. It's just so that I can say I completed the challenge. Okay. So I never ended up finding myself in a situation where I wasn't feeling that guilt. <laughs> For doing it, like, does that make any sense? Uh, I guess so, yeah. I I I promise I'm a kind person. Okay, I feel like since you have failed my challenge, I am giving you extra homework and you have to to continue this challenge until you complete it. Or you will not pass the Endeavor course. You're going to fire me. I'm going to fire you. I'm going to do this by myself from now on. All right, no well, I'm going to wait till I actually have a spontaneous moment where it's not out of obligation. It really is out of kindness. Okay. And then I'll tell you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> now that everybody thinks I'm the worst person alive. No, no, no. I know exactly what you mean. I really do. Okay, so our topic for today is one that I am super pumped about. Paige has been telling me all week she's so excited to sit down and talk about this, and she really does have a lot of notes in front of her right now. I do. I, like, got my Microsoft Word out. I feel like we're about to get a page rant. You might get a lot of page rants. I feel a storm coming on. Yeah, I've been trying to calm myself all day because I was... Well, this was on a different topic, but I was very angry earlier this week about something else. (laughs) That is going to come up in a later episode. (laughs) Um, So anyways, today we're going to be talking about fictional characters, mainly protagonists, whether or not they're role models or not. We'll get into that. But we want to talk about the writing process, not just with books, but like movies and just creating characters, creating imaginary beings (laughs) who we spend a lot of our lives watching and being inspired from and learning from. I think it's also going to carry over into our next episode. So we already know this is going to be a two part episode. Yeah, because we're gonna and some of it might kind of blend in and mix and whatnot. But we've got a lot of (laughs) Paige has a lot of questions that she wants to answer. (laughs) Yeah, uh, And they're all related to how we portray characters, how we portray different genders in movies and books. So I think we are in for a wild ride. (laughs) We're going to start out talking about protagonists. So Jess, what is a protagonist? Let's start at the basics. You're going to ask me to give you another definition that you can argue with me about? We love definitions (laughs) on this podcast, apparently. 
the protagonist of the story is basically the one you're rooting for during the story. Or it's the person who is central to the story. Yeah. I think Most of it, central to the story. The person who's driving the plot. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because I think there are some protagonists out there who are not the good guy. Well, okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. I agree. All right. Good. Good. <laughs> don't, don't put your, your boxing gloves on. Ah. <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready to fight you, but I'm ready to fight something. <laughs> the movie making process, etc. Okay. <laughs> so before we get into what our sort of homework was before this podcast, I want to ask Jess, what do you think makes a good protagonist? Not necessarily like a good person, but an interesting protagonist. Because there's a lot of boring protagonists out there, but what makes good television? What makes a good book? I think a good protagonist is someone who's relatable. Mm-hmm. Do you want me to read my list? I'm sorry, guys. I'm going to be, like, driving this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I told you, I'm in for a wild ride. Jess is going to be my... my uh, Your sounding board. Sounding board? Like... Isn't that your... What is it when you play tennis and you're playing... I'm the wall. You're the wall! <laughs> I bounce the ball off of and... <laughs> Hi, everyone. My name is Jess, and I am the wall today. <laughs> no, that's terrible. <laughs> I want okay, to no, I I wanna, wanna hear. I want to bounce my ideas off of you. I didn't, because you sent me this question in advance, and I really didn't know how to answer it. The, the one answer that I just gave, that mm-hmm. it being relatable, I didn't even have written down. It just came to me. Okay. So tell me your thoughts. Okay. And I think it's also, like, I spend a lot of time thinking about the storytelling process. I want to get to be a good storyteller. I like to write. I'm not great. But there's a lot of thought that goes into it if you want to do it well. Mm -hmm. So I'm very keen on picking out bad storytelling. And it really bothers me. And I get bothered when people are sucked into bad storytelling because I'm like, guys, this is bad. Like, go look at the good stuff. Like, what makes good storytelling? Don't keep shoveling money into stuff that's really poorly written. So that's going to be a beef I'm going to get to later on. (laughs) Yeah, please tell me what makes a good protagonist. What makes a good protagonist? This is my list. Okay, my number one was flawed because nobody's perfect. Mm -hmm. It's not good to have a perfect protagonist because, as Jess said, then they're not relatable. Relatable. So yeah, that's my number two. They got to be relatable. Uh, three, I have, they have to be essential to the plot. Right. Because like you said, they kind of drive the plot. Well, not always. Mm-hmm. They have to be ambitious or have goals. And remember, this is good protagonists, like well-written protagonists. Okay. So I think a well-written protagonist should have a goal of some sort, mm-hmm. no matter how small it might be. Mm-hmm. Okay. They, I think, should have internal conflict. Something going on internally okay. ma- makes for an interesting protagonist, well-written. Uh, and uh, this is very, like, opinion-based from me. Like like I said, there's people out there who shovel millions of dollars into movies that I don't think are good, but other people think are great. Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, should I take that out of the podcast? No, no? (laughs) keep it. I'm ready to fight. (laughs) Another thing I think that makes for a good protagonist, a well-written protagonist, is for them to have a backstory. Because I think it's very boring if you don't have any idea where this character came from or who they are. Because a lot of who you are is 
the experiences that you've had. So if you're just thrown in with a character and you have no idea what their backstory is, then mm-hmm. it's not much to build on or relate to. Uh, And then this one's kind of up for debate, but I think they need to have a social life, more or less. They need to interact with other characters. Do you agree with that? Like, if you have a story about one person that never talks to anyone or, like, is isolated, that doesn't make for a very interesting story. At least in my experience. I disagree. Really? Okay. Because, I mean, I can't think of a... This isn't a great example because this person isn't alone the whole time, but Castaway is one of my favorite movies. Okay. And he spends like 80% of the movie by himself on an island. Hmm. But, True. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's the first thing that came to my mind. I'm sure there are better examples. But I always think, I also think of like Walden's Pond. Who was that? Was that Th- Henry David Thoreau? I, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, the guy that like <laughs> isolates himself in a cabin. Oh, I have not heard of this. Oh. Is this a classic that I would have gotten this in public is a, school? This is, Yeah. <laughs> This is where this is where homeschooling failed you, Jess. <laughs> yeah, there was a guy that like went to a lake and he just like stayed isolated in a cabin and wrote down his thoughts for like a year or something. I mean, it wasn't really a story, but it was very interesting. Yeah, Paige, we've done several episodes now about how you got to be alone to get to know yourself and to think deeply. And now right. you're saying you have well, to interact with other you, people to be a good protagonist. Well, would you want to read a story about someone per- who person? never talks to someone, like ever? I guess it depends. I don't know. It depends on the story. I mean, if you're talking about some, like, a, a high school young adult romance. But, like... And they're just walking around not talking to anybody... Because, like, our advice... But that could still be part of the plot. Our advice is not to be, like, spend alone time for eternity. Right. But there are some stories that are better told with just one person. With no other interaction with other characters? Yeah, because there's, like... Sometimes the antagonist of a story can be nature. True. So it can be a person against nature. Okay. I guess... Okay. All right. Okay. I mean, I agree... Stories are more dynamic and interesting if they have other people, but I don't think that just because you don't talk to other people in a story or there aren't other people in the story, I don't think that means that they're not a good protagonist. Okay, I agree. All right, I'll take it. (laughs) I don't want to (laughs) argue. And plus, you kind of got me there with our alone time. (laughs) You you got me again. (laughs) Okay, but... So Jess and I did have some homework this week, and it was to come up with some role models in fiction, whether it is literature, uh, movies, television, etc. Just some fictional characters who we think are good role models. Do you want to go first, or do you want me to go first? I only have one. Oh! So I don't know if... One! I felt like it was sufficient. I also knew that you were going to have like 20, so... (laughs) (laughs) Okay. My my fictional role model growing up has always been Nancy Drew. I knew you were going to say that. So I, I, I read a lot of her books as a child, and I played a lot of her games, and I still play her games, and she's basically my spirit animal of a person. So I just think she is a really good role model, especially coming from, you know, her. she was first invented, or whatever word you want to use, in the 30s, which is not... A time when you would expect strong female role models to come about. Mm-hmm. But 
every adaptation that I've seen of her has been like a strong character. Mm -hmm. So whether it's from the 30s or from a modern perspective, she's constantly traveling, usually by herself. Mm -hmm. Uh, She's supposedly only 18 as she's doing all this, which is a little unrealistic. (laughs) (laughs) She has a boyfriend, but she doesn't rely on him or anything. In fact, he's usually the one that's kind of in the background. Uh So she's just a strong, independent, smart woman and I always get giddy okay whenever at work I have a little mystery to solve I'm just like oh I get to be Nancy Drew today so I just love putting myself in her shoes good I I figured that would be who you would pick she's very versatile and you can put her in just about any time period and she Mm, works yes that's a good point yeah well going off of that can you guess who my number one role model is Anne of Green Gables. Yes, <laughs> and Shirley Cuthbert. <laughs> and I think, I think she's also a character who's been timeless. I just looked in my crusty little copy of Anne of Green Gables to see when it was copyrighted. And it looks like 1908 was when Anne was originally created by Lucy Maud Montgomery. And... If anyone out there is aware of this, there's a new uh, Netflix series called Anne with an E, and it's kind of about a modern day Anne, and Jess and I could get into a debate about this, (laughs) about which version of Anne of Green Gables is the best. Wait, is it modern? It's not modern day. There's modern day issues. Modern day issues, but it still like takes place decades ago. Yeah, Yeah, but I think her spirit, whether it was back in 1908 versus how they're portraying her in this new series she has the same spirit Mm -hmm. so i i've only discovered anne of green gables like the two or three years ago and i feel like my life has changed (laughs) because uh jess says that nancy drew is her spirit animal person and shirley is absolutely my spirit animal person (laughs) uh i i would agree (laughs) even though Anne and I had different childhoods. I relate to the fact that she relied upon her imagination. Uh, I grew up an only child, and I had a wonderful childhood, but anyone who's an only child, I I think, could understand this. When you're an only child, you learn to talk to yourself, and you learn to... You're your own entertainment. (laughs) So you just kind of create your own imaginary world, and you live in it. (laughs) So I really... When I saw... And like on screen talking to herself and living in her imagination, I was like, oh my gosh, like that was me when I was a kid. That's what I would do. But what is it about Anne that you look up to? Because a role model means you're looking up to this person. Mm-hmm. I think it's her, her resiliency. Like she did, she had a difficult childhood and she, you can see it come out in like her fits of anger and, you know, she has moments where she makes mistakes but like one of her quotes is tomorrow's another day without any mistakes in it Mm -hmm. and I feel like she is she has so much self-awareness and she knows who she is and she doesn't apologize for it everyone in the story at especially at the beginning thinks she's a little wacky (laughs) and she really doesn't apologize for it she knows that she's a little out there she has a huge imagination and she owns it and I love Mm. that and it's not but it's not easy she struggles with it but she still 
doesn't back down from who she is. And I really like that. I guess I'll just list my other ones real fast since Jess just had Nancy Drew. Uh, I also, I don't, I, you have more. You just you can give them to me. Maybe I failed in only bringing one. Oh. I just when I was thinking because I don't read a whole lot, and I mean I, you know, there are TV shows and movies that I like, but I don't know that I can really pull people from them that I would say. See, I was thinking, who do I identify with more than I was thinking? Who are my role models? Because I could list, like, Hermione from Harry Potter. But I feel like, and I know that's on your list. Uh (laughs) But I also think that's on a lot of girls' lists. So I wanted to just, that's why I didn't really bother to keep thinking about it. (laughs) Okay. Well, this was actually a lot harder than I thought. Like, sitting down and thinking of good role models who people, especially young audiences, should look up to. I thought of Ella of Frell. Ella (laughs) from Ella Enchanted. Okay. I think she's pretty great. I think she's a good role model. And I love her, her little arc that she has in her story. It's been a while since I saw that movie, but I feel like it was on TV like every month. So it was easy (laughs) to come across it. And I got tired of it after a while. Yeah. It's on ABC Family like every other day. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. But I love that Ella begins her story with you know, she's cursed with always listening, like she has to obey whatever anyone tells her. And I think this Mm -hmm. is such a great message for young women, young girls, like she had no choice but to obey whatever anyone told her. And then by the end of her story, she learns to stand up for herself. And she breaks the curse by saying, you will no longer be obedient. And she has to stand up for taking charge of herself, I Mm -hmm. guess, not letting the world push her around. And then I have Hermione Granger. I'm going to talk about her later because she's one of my examples for something else. If anyone watches the OA, this is my little plug. The OA is great. Hashtag save the OA. Please, people. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to see some great storytelling, watch the OA. It's really great. I'm not going to go into it because I could spend a whole episode on that. But I think the OA is a great example of a good role model. And yes, the OA is a person. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I also have Katara. If anyone watches Avatar, I tried to get Jess to watch it and she was not feeling it. (laughs) But I think she's a good, a good role model, a really well-developed character. I mean, she had three television seasons to develop herself. And I think she does a good job at showing leadership and how to collaborate with your friends she like someone had to be like the leader and take charge and a lot of times the others you know were irritated with her and like made fun of her but she was the responsible one (laughs) and I think that's a good message for kids that's also almost always where the female characters fall into the responsible one (sighs) it's true it is what it is it is what it is someone's got to do it (laughs) (laughs) And then, this is not a woman, but I wanted to throw it in there. Bilbo Baggins. We, we never said it had to be women. No, we didn't. But all of them so far have been women. Yeah, I was hoping that you had a guy on I was just going to throw him in because <laughs> I relate to Bilbo because I think we talked about this a couple episodes ago that I have a sense for adventure, but I'm also a homebody. Mm-hmm. And I think Bilbo perfectly <laughs> shows that. Yeah. Because <laughs> he is such a homebody, but he is strung along on an adventure and he makes the most of it. 
and he, he becomes a hero, but then he's ready to go home. <laughs> so I really relate to that. I relate to that, too. <laughs> yeah. So I want to bring up the difference between having a flawed character versus a complex character versus a good role model versus a bad role model. Okay. I'm going to start this out, Jess, with giving you three characters. Okay. okay is this a quiz? Uh, well, it can be. I'll see where it goes. First character, Scarlett O'Hara. Mm-hmm. I'm reading that book right now again. Are you? Uh-huh. Okay. What book is that, Jess, in case people don't know? Gone with the Wind. Also a movie. Yep. And then second character, Bella Swan. From Twilight. <laughs> Your face says it all. <laughs> I think you know where I'm going with this. Uh-huh. So Bella Swan is from Twilight. And then Hermione Granger. Harry Potter. Good job. <laughs> you passed. <laughs> So I bring up these three characters because they are each very different and in very distinct ways. Like I said, we're talking about flawed, complex, good role model, bad role models. Okay. Mm -hmm. So Scarlett O'Hara first. I would say she's a very flawed character, but I also think she's very complex. Do you agree with me? Mm -hmm. Okay. And I also think she's portrayed as not a role model. Like, you don't read Gone with the Wind or watch Gone with the Wind and think, man, I wish I could be like Scarlet. (laughs) Do you agree? I agree. But one of the things that I love about Gone with the Wind, if you pay attention and you analyze these characters, you can see in some ways that Scarlet might be somebody to look up to, but not not in every facet of her life Mm -hmm. because she's a very resilient person Mm -hmm. but overall like you don't think young girls should look up to scarlett o'hara and not not to be her someday not at face value no okay good (laughs) okay bella swan flawed you're gonna tell me she's not complex but she's flawed (laughs) yes yep that's exactly where i'm going she's flawed but she's not complex she's pretty basic Yep, she wants to marry a vampire. Uh, she doesn't even want to marry the vampire. She just wants to live forever as a vampire with her vampire ugh. man. I'm sorry if we insult people out there with our movie opinions. You can argue with us via Instagram. <laughs> I'm going to put it out there that I love to laugh at Twilight. Yes, we It's a great movie loved- to watch as a comedy. <laughs> yes. So Bella Swan I have as an example of someone who's flawed but not complicated, but she is portrayed as your ideal. So when you're reading Twilight, the author is portraying Bella as you want to be Bella. Right. You're supposed to look up to her. Exactly. And then I have Hermione Granger, who I think is a perfect example of someone who's flawed, complex, and she's a good role model. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just wanted to show those three characters and how they're different and they each exemplify different ways to be flawed, complex and good versus bad at being a role model. Mm-hmm. My question is, does your protagonist have to have all those three things? Like if you want, depending on the story you want to tell, you might want somebody who's flawed and complex, but not a good role model. If Scarlett O'Hara was written as a good role model, then a lot of the great things about that story would have fallen apart. Right. Okay. I agree with you. I think so. Bella Swan's like my bad example because I think that failed this system. Mm -hmm. Scarlett O'Hara is flawed, complex, but she's not a good role model. And I think that's 
very important that if you're going to be flawed and complex and make decisions that prove that you're setting a bad example, then the author should be sure to frame that as this is a bad (laughs) role model. Exactly. But with Bella, that's such the opposite example because she's flawed, continues to make, in my opinion, very bad decisions. (laughs) (laughs) But as the audience, we are told like, yeah, Bella, Jump off that cliff. Yeah, go go after Edward. You want to be a vampire? <laughs> Ditch Jacob. Give your daughter to the werewolf. Like, <laughs> And the dangerous thing is, like, I loved these books and movies as, like, a teenager. Mm-hmm. And back then, I didn't think deeply about the decisions these people were making. I'm just thinking, wow, this is a great movie. I love this. Uh-huh. So I don't know that I would have said as a teenager, Bella's a great role model, but I wasn't thinking Bella's a bad role model. I was Mm -hmm. just thinking, wow, I really love this story. But I think it's important, though, that that's we're teaching our kids that that is who they want to be. Yeah. But this goes into the responsibility that an author has to their audience. And I think that the author of Twilight really failed their audience or... I mean, this is just my opinion because I want to be a writer someday and I would never want to put out there into the world a a book that would teach children to make those decisions, to rely on a man, to be involved in what is honestly an abusive relationship, to sell your soul to a man and leave your family forever, potentially, have a scary baby. (laughs) (laughs) that makes you drink bloody milkshakes like I do not want to teach that to children yeah and I feel like as an author you have a responsibility to think about your audience and what you're putting out into the world but again that's just my opinion well I I completely agree those are basically the notes that I have written down here (laughs) I think that bad role models in the protagonist uh, position are not necessarily a bad thing, but the author has to somehow make it clear that yes. this isn't somebody that you necessarily want to look up to. Right, like the Scarlett O'Hara example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is another reason that I love Gone with the Wind is because all of these characters are so flawed and you can mm-hmm. see it and you can see how all of these moving pieces work together to create this complex story and all of these different characters are bringing their own flaws to ultimately what happens to all of them. Mm-hmm. And I think... That's a great example of people's flaws magnifying when they get, like, too close to each other. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think Scarlett and what's his name? Rhett Butler. Rhett! 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 Can you tell we quote this all the time? <laughs> so I feel like Scarlett and Rhett, they have... Rhett. They have such flaws that when they come in contact with each other, they both just, like, magnify each other's flaws. I feel like that's a realistic thing, too, and it's it portrays, like, a, a bad relationship for the most part. I guess they have, like, one scene of happiness together, <laughs> and it's all and downhill from falls there. falls apart again. Yeah. The kid falls off the pony, and then it's down the drain. <laughs> I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, and I know you haven't read the book. You've seen the movie, though. Mm-hmm. Do you think that they are good for each other? I just feel like they're so bad for each other that they're good for each other because who else would they be with? And if they're alone, I don't know. Because when Scarlet's by herself, like she 
she holds her own. But I think Scarlet's the kind of person that needs to have praise and attention. <laughs> Isn't like her last two for her first two husbands die. <laughs> so it's like everyone she gets with meets their end. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know. Are they good for each other? I, I wrestle with this every time I listen to or watch or read this story. I'm listening to the audiobook is why I say listen to. Mm-hmm. I think that they can I think that they can hold their own when they're with each other. So when Scarlet's with other men, she just bulldozes them. Mm-hmm. But when she's with Rhett, she really can't do that. And Rhett can pretty much get whatever he wants from all these other women. But with Scarlet, he I think again, I don't want this to turn into a analysis of gone with the wind but i think that Rhett, Rhett's like not a good person mm-hmm. but you can tell that as much as he doesn't want to admit it he does love scarlet right i just love that there are all these you, you can see that like he loves her i don't really know if you can say she loves him you can see that he loves her but that's not really a good thing right it's not good for him so I guess really they're not really good for each other. But then again, I don't really know that either of them is good for anybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think this is what makes for good storytelling. Yeah, it gives you so much to think about. Right, exactly. Like Bella. There's nothing. What the heck? There's nothing there. <laughs> like she wants to kiss a vampire. And, and uh, I think what we were talking about in the creativity episode, how you shouldn't censor yourself when you're creating do you think as an author or as a writer, you should be censoring yourself and thinking about what images you're leaving with the audience, especially a younger audience? I want to say no, because like we said, I don't think you should censor yourself just because you're afraid of what other people are going to think. But because like, what if Stephanie Meyer was like, I don't care what I'm going to teach the kids. I want to have a love triangle with a vampire and a werewolf. It's my dream. I'm going to write it. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> I think that as an author, you should do whatever you want. But I'm going to tell you, if you write your book with a bad protagonist looking at the person through a lens that this is a good role model. Like if you're going to write like you like Twilight was written, uh-huh. you're probably making a bad decision. Like if you can do what you want. But I don't think that you're doing any favors to your book or to your creativity because I think that you can get a lot more out of writing more complex characters. My number one concern is what you're teaching the audience. I I believe that a story or a narrative should leave the audience with the right impression. Do you think there's a difference when the audience is children versus adults? I do because I think adults I think adults can understand having a flawed and complex character who is a bad role model. I think they can like an adult can look at Scarlet and say, "Yeah, she's she's a bad role model, but she's interesting." I might be putting myself in a bad position here because I have not read this book or seen this movie, but I've also I've heard that 50 Shades of Grey, the protagonist, the girl in that book, which by the way, apparently 50 Shades of Grey was fan fiction for twilight so i have heard that (laughs) rumor (laughs) if 50 shades of gray grew from twilight you know this is gonna be a train wreck (laughs) but i've heard that that's also she's also not a good role model but people but and this is a this is a book that's for adults Mm -hmm. i hope young people are oh gosh i don't (laughs) think about that (laughs) so do you think it's worse 
I mean, I'm sure it is. I think it is worse when it's children or young oh, people. Oh, yeah. So are you saying you think that authors particularly just need to be sensitive to how they're writing for children? I think authors who are writing for children or teens, I think, need to be especially careful because I think adults can determine that this is a flawed character. This is someone who is not someone I should look up to, but they are still interesting to read about. At least you would hope so. You would hope so. Right. Even like Fifty Shades of Grey. Like, I don't, I haven't read or watched that either, but I don't know if they make her an idyllic character. I feel like they probably do. I think, I think they do based on like just commentary that I've read about. But I think as an adult, so this is interesting because Twilight is aimed at teens. Fifty Shades of Grey is aimed at, I think, adults. So I think an adult can read Fifty Shades of Grey and separate themselves from that story. They can just read it and digest it and maybe think to themselves, oh, I wish I could be that girl with that, you know, spicy man. (laughs) I think it's harder for teens to separate separate themselves from a story and look at it with an outsider's perspective. Mm -hmm. I think if you're a teen reading Twilight, you want to be Bella. There's no way to... Yeah, get your raging that. hormones are just like, yeah, I need like, that. I need that life. vampire blood. <laughs> <laughs> this is getting weird. So I do think I think um, authors writing for children have a, have more responsibility. I would just hope that authors writing for adults would frame their stories then to present that person as a bad role model. But I don't think that always happens. But at least the adults can separate themselves from the story. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I, I just, I think writing your protagonist from a perspective that makes it clear that they're not the greatest role model, I think that that is just better writing. Yeah. it's. I feel like it's lazy writing to write a, a bad role model from just the good guy perspective. Okay. So we're going to switch gears a little bit. And Jess, I feel like I'm asking you so many questions tonight. On the wall. Can you tell me what an archetype is? An archetype is, it's like a category of character, like a very well-known type of character that people continuously put in their stories. Mm -hmm. I picture it as like a giant filing cabinet and each of the drawers has like an archetype title on it which I'll go into later, and then you can open the file and be like, oh, uh, Ray from Star Wars, Katniss Everdeen, like, and they're all in that one mm-hmm. file. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that archetypes, exactly, is it? it's categorizations of different personality types or characteristics. And I think this is something that can get really dangerous with your writing because I think it's easy to start writing archetypes instead of writing real people. I know for me, when I was writing a, uh, a story once, I was trying to think of what I wanted the, the woman lead to be like. And I was just like, I want her to be just like Hermione. And I was like, well, that's a terrible idea. Because <laughs> you can't write characters off of characters. Like, that's so lazy. I think it's really tough to escape archetypes because they're so ingrained in our culture. Yeah, it's so true. Even like... The Myers-Briggs, I feel like, archetypes us in a way. Do you agree with that? I mean, Myers-Briggs, like any personality test, is going to kind of categorize you. But Myers-Briggs, those 
each piece of Myers-Briggs is on a continuum. So it's not like you have to go in the introvert box or you have to go in the extrovert box. You're on a continuum. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit harder to put people in boxes that way, I guess. But Mm -hmm. But I agree. But there is something like really satisfying about being categorized. I go both ways, though, because sometimes I get really angry when someone tries to categorize me. And then other times I'm just like, oh, I'm an INFP. That's so nice to know. <laughs> that's that's what I am. Or I'm a Gryffindor. Or you're a Hufflepuff. Like, it's just like, oh, that's where I belong. Yeah. it's You have it's a sense of comfort. belonging. You have a sense of identity. Yeah. When I was looking up archetypes a little bit, I kept coming across, like, ancient Greece or ancient Rome. Like, the original playwrights, they came up with these archetypes. Yeah. And so these are like ancient ideas of who people are. And it's just like fascinating that way back then we were categorizing people. And you're right. It's so ingrained in us that, you know, if you're creating a story and you have to imagine someone from scratch, you're going to look at these categories and be like, oh, all right, well, this person is this. And you can just build off of that. Yeah. And sometimes when I feel like people are trying to get out of those archetypes it's obvious mm-hmm. like it's too obvious it's like oh you clearly wrote them this way because you didn't want to fall under this category yeah so there's some videos on youtube that i was watching the name of the person that puts up these videos is overly sarcastic productions trope talks one of them they were talking about was archetypes and they were talking their m- metaphor for this was so interesting because they were talking about If you wanted to learn to draw, something you could do is buy one of those like learn to draw books and it would show you step by step Mm -hmm. how to draw something. Or if you look up online how to draw a daisy, you can look at someone else's painting of a daisy and you can paint that daisy, right? Mm -hmm. But Usually how I draw when I draw. (laughs) (laughs) But the real way if you want to develop your own style is you have to go out and you have to find a real daisy and paint that actual living daisy. And it was talking about how in writing, people a lot of times will look at these archetypes or will look at other stories just like I was doing. Like, I want to write someone like Hermione instead of going out and looking at people in real life and taking from that. Instead, we're looking at imaginary people that someone else created and we're going off of that. Mm -hmm. I just thought that was such a great metaphor, the artist's perspective, painting a a picture of a daisy versus painting an actual daisy. Mm Mm-hmm. So, Paige, I feel like we haven't quite gotten on your rage train yet, and I think that's going to end up happening (laughs) on part two of this episode because the rest of the questions and topics that we have to talk about have a lot to do with how women are portrayed in movies and television and in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. So I think we're going to have to save that for next episode, but... Yeah. If you're interested in hearing Paige Rage, I f- <laughs> Paige Rage, hashtag Paige Rage is on its way. I feel like I have been pretty tame this episode, but yeah, I've got a lot more notes, guys, and <laughs> I've got some beef. <laughs> so because this is a two-part episode and we are literally going to be recording part two in several minutes, <laughs> we want to give you a challenge, though, for this week. So our challenge to you is to look at the stories that you grew up with, look at the TV shows that you enjoy, or the movies that you go to the movie theaters to see. How are these 
protagonists? Are they good role models? Are they bad role models? Are they well-written? Are they poorly written? What do you consider a good protagonist? So maybe make a list of protagonists that you look up to or you think are well-written and send it to us on our Instagram or through email. You can find us at Endeavor Podcast on Instagram or you can email us at EndeavorPodcast at gmail.com. And I'm really sorry if I insulted any Twilight fans out there. (laughs) (laughs) Or Fifty Shades of Grey, if you want to write to us and say how Bella Swan is a beautifully crafted, well-thought-out character. We are willing to listen. Yep. Make that argument. I'd love to hear it. (laughs) Red! Good night, Scarlet.